Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in house in the Central Division. That's right. I'm a meatball. You got to bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome in. It's Sox on Tap. We are here with our 2021 season reflection show. Johnny Nani joined by Tony Marchese and NWI Steve. Gentlemen, tough way for us to go out, but as we always do, let's sit here and uh, reflect a bit. Um, first of all, how are you guys doing tonight? Johnny, I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be back on the microphone with you. It's great to see you, Steve. I know we got to uh, enjoy a few beers over the weekend. Uh, I've got to say, great performance uh, by both of you uh, in the in the uh, garage, in the basement. I think we killed enough beers to uh, finally get ourselves over the hump of the 2021 White Sox season being over. What do you think? Hey, yo. Yeah, I would say that uh, given what we were able to accomplish this past Saturday, um, I, I was really proud of the effort that we all put forward. We really we stepped it up and, and we we left it all out there. And I think it was a good way for us to just kind of shut down this 2021 season and um, have, a, have a good time in the process. Yeah, boys, that was a good time on Saturday night. Glad we got to meet up and kind of talk through a little bit of what we'll also uh, do some airing out of here. Obviously, uh, not the end we wanted for our 2021 White Sox. Um, I'd be lying if I said wasn't still a little bit sad, Tony. Uh, we were checking in on each other, wellness checks last week after the elimination. And I would tell you that I'm just uh, physically I'm fine, but I'm just sad. Just sad. I'm still a little bit sad. You wanted to see this team go further. Uh, I think we all, you know, we predicted the, all the Sox winning series. Um that did not come to fruition. So um, once again, bit bitter at the end, but let's start right there and jump off with, since we didn't get to reconvene until just now, final thoughts on how this thing went down and finally crashed and burned. You know, final thoughts on how it crashed and burned. That seems real early on in this show to even go there, Johnny. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think as a White Sox fan, all of us wanted to see this team win. I think we all had expectations for this team to win, and I think that they they could have won this series if they had done a few things differently. Overall, at the end of the day, the White Sox season was fucking fantastic. Um, it was it was a good ride. Uh, I think all things considered, it's one of the most fun we've had as White Sox fans in a long time. That said, uh, Johnny, that that word sad. Um, Still, still feel sad. Will be sad all winter. Um, I think Tuesday's ball game after the rainout was the ultimate letdown, but it was also a, a game that we've watched before many times this year. We've watched that game so many times that it was almost it wasn't as painful because it wasn't a close ball game that was a heartbreaker. It wasn't a you know pitching duel that you wind up giving. 
just one up, one run up, and you know it, the the offense didn't show up at all. No, you got your asses handed to you on a on a fucking platter by the Astros on Tuesday. Gavin Sheets, my guy, the only one that came through. Got to give him the special shout out here. But uh, overall, I mean, we've seen that White Sox team play this game this year. We've seen this this White Sox team play a game like they did on Sunday night at home in front of the crowd. Just unfortunate that we saw the version of the White Sox on Tuesday uh, and not the version of the White Sox we saw on Sunday. And that's what happens. It's baseball. I think they'll be back. I think there's changes to be made. This thing ain't perfect. A lot of young guys, a lot of guys who are postseason vets didn't show up and do what they needed to do. That's a recipe for fucking disaster, guys, is what it is. Very frustrating to see this team go out with a whimper the way they did, especially on their home field. I had talked about, and I was really leaning into the fact that they had been the best team in the American league at home all season and really did not expect them to go out there and lay a giant fucking goose egg out there the way that they did. And I think that's Tony, to your point, what made it that much more frustrating to be in the ballpark, to watch it coming off the high of Sunday night and all the emotion. And then to just, have that letdown. Like I said, it, it really, it, it was a gut punch that I didn't expect to have happening. I really thought that they were going to be playing a game in Houston the following night on Wednesday. And here we are now it's, it's been almost a week since the elimination and it still stings. And this is one that it's probably going to sting for a while, especially as we're sitting here, watching the the Boston Red Sox just launch balls into the night constantly against this Houston Astros pitching staff and seeing the type of performance that I believe we all expected to see from our Sox against this Houston team. That's probably not helping the emotional state of us collectively as a unit or the fan base as a whole. Right, Steve, just building on that point there, because you guys uh, made a lot of points that uh, I would have said, uh, maybe just some specific things. Offensively, um, I'm very jealous right now of the Boston Red Sox being able to string together multi-run home runs uh, in multiple times through multiple games here against the Astros. You really wish, like you had said, Steve, that our Sox would have been able to do that. Um, something about ball go far, team go far, uh, you know, might have been said a couple, three times uh, on the show this year. Um, other than that, something I talked about at the All-Star break, Tony, um, starting pitching durability would have been key for the second half. And guess what? The durability faded, and as did the White Sox uh, in their kind of, you know, last push this season. Um, I, I know that injuries happen. I know that fatigue happens, but you, you got to find other ways to work around that. And, and even the guys that were healthy and ready to go, um, they were not up to snuff, especially in that starting staff. You had a few guys in the bullpen uh, that, that did some admirable work, but other than that, still as a whole, same issues that plagued them uh, multiple times throughout the year. Um, so it was disappointing to see those rear their ugly head again uh, when it counted the most. So, um, yeah, Tony, then circling back to your point, it is kind of we've seen these games before, all of them that they lost in that series. We've seen the game that they won before, too, an electric atmosphere and, uh, you know, uh, fans going nuts. And that was, you know, a game in and of itself. I think that's one positive that we can take away from the postseason. Now we got a taste of that. We want more of it. Um, that's kind of the next point that I was going to transition to. Don't want it to be all doom and gloom, but we did have to air our final thoughts uh, on how that thing ended. But now this just makes me hungrier for more. I want more next year, boys. You know, Johnny, you bring that up. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, 
when we make comparisons uh, amongst baseball teams, I felt that last year kind of served as that I'm hungry, I want more season. And one thing that if you're going to put out goalposts, right, for this year to be measured as successful, you should kind of think, I mean, honestly, it was a pandemic year. Things were a little bit different circumstantially. But I thought that this was the year the team took a step forward. So if we're going to talk about disappointments, I'm most disappointed that, you know, the Lance Lynn deal, and, and I know, Steve, we're still trying to figure that out the Lance Lynn deal really didn't play to the favor of the White Sox this year because of the first round matchup. And I can see where people get frustrated at the fact that the White Sox were unable to secure home field advantage in the ALDS. I understand that that's frustrating. I defended the process of rest your guys. We need to get to October. I defended that process. Johnny, I think you were also in that camp. Uh, there was a lot of guys in the starting rotation that you talked about, Johnny, not you know having the same durability uh, as it did uh, early on in the season. There were a lot of factors that went into some of this stuff, but I think that you know from if I'm going to mark this season as a success, outside of what I said earlier, this is the most fun we've had as fans. It's okay to appreciate that, but if you're going to mark this season as a, as a success for this team, sure you took the AL Central. But you also made the playoffs last year, and you got one win. You did the same thing this year. Something has to give at that point to try and get you to that next level. And I don't know if this team has that same gear that you're watching right now with the with the Boston Red Sox to kind of turn that on in the playoffs and do that when they need to. I think that's the biggest question that I have, and, and that that wanting more. I want I want that type of offensive output over the course of five, six games now next year, instead of, ah, we've seen it show up twice this week. We know they can do it. That's what I'm looking for. How do you manage five, six game stretches? Because that's what you're going to need to do in October. You want a simple answer to that question, Anthony? Sure, go ahead. The answer to that would be having guys in the lineup that have an offensive plate approach that aren't going up there free swinging constantly while they certainly can have some explosiveness in their bats, this has been one of the greater problems that has plagued the White Sox organizationally for probably the better part of a decade now. And when you look at I was going to say, that you're talking about every hitter I've ever fucking watched in my life. I mean, when you look at teams, you look at Boston and the success that they've had over the course of the last 20 years. You look at Houston, the run that they've been on. You look at the Yankees. Um, and, and their offensive prowess for the last 25, 30 years. It's predicated on guys that go up there with a good, sound plate approach, get themselves into quality hitters counts, and when they get themselves into those hitters counts, they look to do damage in the air, not on the ground, in the fucking air, because there simply are not hits on the ground very much anymore here in the year of our Lord 2021. So organizationally one of the things that I really feel has to happen this winter is there's got to be a proverbial come to Jesus moment um, for all the people in that room and understanding that the way that the modern game is played is with power. And if Frank Menachino wants to talk about his hitting 300 bullshit and everything, then he needs to be removed. Um, I'll, I'll go out. I'll go out here for Frank here. I, th- I think that was just exclusively to Andrew Vaughn. 
And I think a lot of people take that that quote out of context uh, towards the whole entire team and, and just the coaching staff mentality. I think that that was a little bit more directed towards Andrew Vaughn, just me personally. And I think he said something about that too. But it does it does lead to questions, Steve. It leads to what's your approach with young hitters? Well, I think my counter, my counter to that, Tony, though, would be this is a team that ranked bottom five in all of Major League Baseball in ground ball percentage. They were the only team in the bottom 10 that made the postseason. It's just simply not a recipe for success. And again, this calls into question, is there some breakdown organizationally where this is happening constantly? And I really think that they have to reevaluate a lot of their infrastructure and a lot of their processes that they have in place because this is, I think, going to be the simple formula for teams um, if the White Sox are able to get back into October again next year, it's going to be pound these guys, pound them, pound them. They're just going to beat the ball into the ground. So there are a number of hitters on this team that simply love to not elevate the baseball as much as they should. And something has to change with that over the course of, the, of this winter here, whether that is a roster construction issue or getting guys to tweak their, their swings and tweaks their approaches. Because sure, it might work against Kansas City, might work against Minnesota, Detroit. Steve, what do you, where do you go to here, though? Are you are you talking about hitting first pitch fastballs that are right down the middle? If you're Yohan Moncada, you look at this roster up and down, and every guy's got a different fucking approach, right? Like you've got Yohan Moncada who's going to take the first pitch no matter what it is, and it, and it's it's normally a strike right down the pipe to him, and that's the best pitch he's going to see every at bat. Then you've got, you know, Yasmani Grandal on the other on the other end over here, who's going to work counts, get things done. I think kind of the more modern approach that we're looking for, uh, but still has his his factors where you can see like the beginning of this season where you see the batting average way down. Then you've got Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, where it's so painfully obvious that anytime a pitcher gets ahead, they're just going to the slider over and over again, or that inside high fastball that's going to tie him up. And you can kind of put Jose Abreu in that camp as well. Um, so you, you've got approaches all over the place here. You've got some young guys in Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, who you know are still trying to figure it out at the major league level, I think, so to speak, uh, where you haven't really seen their approach. You've got Zach Collins, who takes everything. Uh, is he going to be on your roster next year? There's so many questions up and down. I don't think it's a system-wide approach. I think you've got a bunch of guys that are just all over the fucking map. Well, I think part of part part of the issue and part of the reason why I say it looks like it could be a system wide issue is, you know, back a um, couple two three years ago when they had hired Matt Lyle, and he was working down in he was a roving instructor throughout the minor leagues, and and he's one of the guys that your baby boy Gavin Sheets credited with helping to kind of get him over the hump when he was down in double a Birmingham and ultimately getting him to the point where he was able to be a solid contributor to this team at the major league level. And really looks like he has cemented his position as a guy that is going to be counted on in some capacity here in 2022 and going forward. Lyle was a major proponent of, of the quote unquote launch angle um, approach to hitting and you know, I had read the book, The MVP Machine, uh, back in 2018, and Lyle was Great book about Jose Abreu. It, uh, fan, I mean, fan, fantastic, fantastic. Um, 
but you know, Lyle had some really interesting quotes in there and just his talk and, and his overall philosophy to hitting. And this is a guy that the team dismissed after one season for reasons that nobody can quite understand. So that's where I, again, I come back to this, that I believe that is an organizational system wide issue that they brought in somebody from the outside that was trying to modernize the organization and the way that they were and their approach to teaching hitting and they immediately got rid of him. A lot of people were very happy when Matt Lyle was picked up by the White Sox. Like yeah. That was a big thing here. Just, what was that, in 2019, 2020? I, I, think, it, I think it was 20. It, it, was, it was 18 or 19. Late, late 18 going into 19. Yeah. I think a lot of people were, like, excited for the White Sox when they picked up Matt Lyle. Like, that, that was a story. Yeah. And then all of a sudden – there was this exit that didn't have an answer to it, Steve. I, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. So, I mean, whether it's, you know, bringing in someone from outside the organization, there are so many different guys at some of the various academies and, and private institutions that are cropping up across the country, similar to, you know, the drive line approach on the pitching side of it here. Maybe this, this organization really needs to take a look in the mirror and say we got to swallow our pride here, and we need to bring in somebody from the outside here to kind of cleanse what is going on here. Right, Steve. This is something that you and I briefly discussed in person on Saturday, but it's that you know I'm sure it's part of it. There, there's probably organization with guys at the top, guys at the managerial level um, that are going to be taking place. But I want them in a room hammering this shit out early on, uh, formulate the plan like right now while this postseason is going on. I'm sure there's a lot of the uh, you know unwinding going on right now. I understand that, but um, you want to also be able to jump the gun uh, on decisions like that and get them before other organizations that are maybe a little bit more savvy uh, in that regard, snatch them up. So I want, I want to, you know, you'll never see reports or pictures or videos of it, um, but I would hope that there are multiple brainstorming sessions going on. And that's not just Rick Hahn and the upper brass up there. That's those guys with Tony LaRusso, with the Frank Mancino, like, Hey, it, it, are you going to change? Or are we going to have to go out and get these different guys? Shelly Duncan, what the fuck is your purpose here? Stuff like that. Um, I hope they're in the war room early and often. Uh, and it's weird to say this is baseball is such a long off season, but hey, if you don't, if you ain't first, you're last uh, in this thing. So that's where I kind of stand on it, Steve. Just elaborating on something that you and I uh, discussed briefly there. So um, there'll be plenty of time uh, this off season to discuss uh, what the specific moves um, should be. Uh, for this team and filling needs, filling holes, and obviously a little better picture uh, of th where things stand. We're going to have negotiations between uh, uh, CBA, uh, all that stuff going on. So it'll be a long process of doing this. So uh, we we'll revisit this at multiple junctures throughout the offseason. Since we're still in reflection mode, guys, um, and this is these last couple topics have brought things down once again. Hard to do that, I know. Um, Let's bring it back up with some of our favorite moments from the season because this should be a fun segment. If, if we're looking back on the White Sox overall, like Tony said, one of the most fun that we've ever had uh, on the south side of Chicago. So go ahead and just start with a few. Let's have some story hour time here. Yeah, story hour time. few fun, fun moments from the year. Uh, absolutely for me, one of the best years just as a fan from a fan experience standpoint. Uh, got to do the scout seats. Uh, with uh, with Jake uh, Trojan uh, and uh, and Jen and, and Doug early on in the, in the year, Steve, that was the first time I got to see you in a while uh, at the ballpark. 
that was back in limited capacity. That was a good time. Didn't actually get to sit in the scout seats, though. Things were weird. They were spread out, so it was just regular seating behind the scout seats, but got the uh, the free beer all game. Great day. Uh, you know, getting to go with, uh, with our guy Buzz, uh, seeing him make out with a chicken. Um, that was a fun time. Uh, I, that's, I mean, that one's memorable. Um, there's some pictures that are online. Uh, you can go and find them. Uh, it was like the same day that the CDC said, don't, you know, touch chicken. Cause there's like a salmonella outbreak. And I found that funny, uh, cause buzz was all over that thing. He likes a good cock. Um, then there's, uh, then there's the field of dreams. Did, did we, did we just officially hit uh sex on tap after dark? That it, we don't know. Uh, then, uh, then there was the Field of Dreams game. Steve, I think uh, driving home from that was just a, such a fucking great experience. Um, stories that I'll tell my grandchildren uh, about that night. That was, you know, you had to be there. Um, the sweet game got to hang out with all you guys in a suite. We killed a bunch of beer that night. It was almost as debaucherous as what took place in my basement just like forty-eight hours ago. Uh, and then the playoff game, man, like. You just run them down. Like the, the, there were so many good times at the ballpark this year. The tailgate, we destroyed Orbit. Um, that the pinata, that was that was a fun ass time too. There was a lot of good, good, good times here. But I think you know overall, I've got to go to Gavin Sheets' first career home run, um, and then the time that I got covered in funnel cake when Gavin Sheets hit another bomb uh, later on in the year. That was fun. Also got to go to Milwaukee. I had so many good times this year. It's too hard to pick, Steve. I'll toss it to you. You're 100% right, Tone. I was talking about this over the weekend with with both of you, that in the all or part of four decades that I've been following this team, there was only one season that I've had more fun watching this team than, than this year. And I think we all know what that season was. But from a moment standpoint, opening day, just being able to get to finally be in the ballpark again, you know, having that 18 month layoff of not being able to see a game in person and then just being able to go there. Granted, it was in the limited capacity circumstances, but still just to finally be be home again and to have part of that regular routine that has been such a fixture for, for us for so long. Um, that was a really emotional day. I, I know for myself and for a lot of, a lot of people out there, um, you know, Johnny, when we when we got to take in the game, when we saw Tony's baby boy hit the hit the walk off homer against the Twins, and uh, a certain video clip might have been taken that will uh, live on in infamy forever here in in the Twitterverse uh, because of it. So that was that was definitely a moment. Um, seeing Brian Goodwin hit a walk off against Cleveland and flip his bat to the fucking moon. That was another one that was just an absolute blast, Tony. I mean, the Iowa experience. I mean, what can, what can you really say about that game and just about that whole – Just a magical night, Steve. That whole – right, just that whole aura and the whole experience that we haven't already talked about. Uh, it was just absolutely spectacular. That first 100% capacity day, that tailgate – um, Johnny, I know you weren't, uh, you weren't there with us, but your, your memory lived on in spirit with us that day. I mean, uh, before the torrential busted downpour the, came, the mudslide, the mudslides, you know, I mean, I, we were, we were stone cold in beers. I just mean, incredible. it was just, um, I, I mean, it was like officially we're, we're hashtag back officially, you know? And, um, so that was, that was definitely a lot of fun. And then I know for me, um, 
being able to go to Cleveland, watching this team clinch the division. Very subdued celebration. I was a little disappointed about that. I wanted to see them dogpile on the Indians field. I wanted those motherfuckers to have to watch the Sox celebrate in, in glorious fashion. But I talked about this that night, just knowing that my last memory of the Cleveland Indians baseball team will be the Sox clinching a division on their field is something that will warm my heart for the rest of my life. And then game three, I mean, just being there, that atmosphere, it was, it was absolutely electric. We had a great time beforehand and just the buzz that was in the ballpark that night. Sox fans, we catch a lot of shit locally and nationally from members of the media, but we showed out that night and we showed everybody what baseball at 35th and shield is all about. Yeah. Guys, um, just, just since you left it on that, um, I think Gavin sheets, your guy, Tony described it perfectly. There is an instance where Astros made a pitching change with sheets on first and you see the this, White this Sox video, video uh, and he turns to Daryl Boston and you can see a mouth. You can't hear it obviously. Cause it's raucous. Um, and everyone's singing, nah, nah, hey, hey, goodbye. And Gavin Sheets just turns to Daryl Boston, and he goes, this place is wild, man. And Boston nods back and says, I know. And that's how it should be. Uh, that's how it should be. So that's uh, at least one, you know, end of the season sort of thing since I was the second to last uh, game. Um, and, like, you just to your point there, Steve, everyone showed out that night. Um, I'll go back, and I'll start it at the beginning when we were at limited capacity. A, home opener, Lance Lincoln complete game but that whole setup of that day i just have memories from that steve we met up at wings and rings before got a nice solid base down continue to put down some beers and guess what before we went over the ballpark we saw the delayed notification so a lot of people giving jerry some extra money getting in there early uh-uh. we were at wings and rings for a while waiting that thing out went over at the perfect time uh got in there no problems it was still limited capacity and just that day just worked out perfectly and my guy lance lynn uh shoving a complete game uh on the home opener making a statement that's when you first got the real taste of him turning around to the camera and all his antics and everybody loved it uh you had the Yerman blast in that yohan mancata going uh early in that one two uh, an opposite field shot um that, that was awesome and a few the series of games kind of that i had from limited capacity games and i reconnected with the 500 level i haven't been up there in a long long time other than maybe some one-off individual games that i didn't have as part of a ticket package or something um I saw Carlos Rodon's no hitter shortly thereafter um, from the 500 level uh, with my dad. Cold as hell that night, but what an experience uh, seeing no hitter uh, in person. It was just unbelievable for, you know, only having 20, whatever, 22% capacity it was at that time uh, that you could feel the energy in the building. Everybody um, was on pins and needles, uh, just like Carlos was near the end. So really cool to see that, especially since we were deprived of the Lucas Giolito one. Um, in 2020. So that, that was a really cool moment. Another one from the 500 level uh, in April, back when uh, Nicky Sticks was still on the team. Uh, he walked off the Texas Rangers. Uh, it was a 2-1 ball game, but I, that was a great day. I was at Cork all day beforehand and uh, met up with a bunch of friends there um, and then went up to the 500 level and was able to see that and walk off fashion. So uh, that was fun from the early days. And then, Tony, you, you and I, yep. there were some games in between there, but you and I went to – okay, then actually even still at limited capacity, uh, but I was uh, – at the walk-off um, when Abreu uh, got home uh, on the wild pitch against the Royals. That was an extremely electric one. I loved all the guys waiting uh, on the dugout, uh, on the railing there to celebrate. There's some great pictures, videos, moments from that. Uh, and Pito was all jacked up in the dugout. That was a huge kind of statement win, even though it was just against the Royals there. Uh, that felt like this team has it, Tony. 
and then uh, you and I at the one of the last ones before uh, they went back. It was when they jumped up this 60% now or whatever it was, 65. Um, but we were at the uh, um, Grandal walk-off against the Rays in extra innings to give the White Sox the best record in MLB. Um, that was just an incredible experience, you, me, and your son. Yep. Uh, it, that was that really felt like, uh, you know, kind of full capacity, even though it wasn't, and it was a day game. But just to see that excitement return for a day game on a getaway day, uh, uh, you know, I know it was a quality opponent in the Tampa Bay Rays, but still, it's been a while. Since it that was kind of energy that's, been there, that's that early that's when in the I season. felt like we were back man that's yeah. when I felt like we were back yeah it did not feel like limited capacity in that stadium yeah it was a, it was like the biggest Wednesday day game I've ever seen remember how long it took us to yeah. get into the stadium that day yeah holy shit yeah no absolutely and then you know going through the rest of it Steve you and I were there shortly after right after the all-star break we had uh Houston in town we had that big tailgate Tony you had talked about it the pinata was great excellent artwork by you uh, and your wife on that one it was great to uh destroy that thing I actually do have maybe like one or two of those individual seed packets left um so I'm still enjoying the fruits of that one there so that's always kind go. of funny reminder whenever I pull out one of those uh, and crunch on a few seeds while I'm watching a game or whatever um and then moving through the other the rest of that Steve you and I were there for that double header against Minnesota it worked out well uh he came out to my car we drank a few beers before we went in and then uh saw uh you know double header first game did not go how we wanted it to Raylo started the second game looking like it was going to be bad if he had a errant pick off to start but Gavin Sheets comes and saves the day at the end and the White Sox for life video was born um just outstanding stuff uh during that you know uh kind of it felt like summer it felt like summer was fully back with fans fully being back in the stadium out there for a full day of baseball. Uh, Lance Lynn threw a good game in that first game too. So it, it was still, you know, just an incredible experience. And then through the end of the season on my birthday, uh, all you guys showing up um, the, the game against the Reds, that was a lot of fun. Kicked the shit out of them that night. Um, and then, we had uh, that Friday night, halfway to St. Patrick's Day. Um, Steve in his Polish Mafia shirt showing all of us up. But I was drinking green beer. I was Zach came in with his wife. They were drinking green beer. Um, a lot of people out at that tailgate. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then, obviously, game three. What else can you say? We had an absolutely banging tailgate before that one as well. Um, thanks to everyone who came out to that. And then, uh, you know, in the ballpark was just electric. I don't know about you guys. My voice was so screwed. I had to go and get cough syrup the next day, just in cough drops, just to like get through it. Cause it was like literally painful to just like move my throat, move my chest, my upper chest. Um, but just incredible memories from the 2021 White Sox. So, um, overall on a fan perspective, guys, I'd say it was a successful season and uh, there is still a lot to build on, on the field too. But uh, I like whenever we can uh, kind of take this thing in as a fan base, uh, especially with, you know, uh, close friends uh, like we have here on the pod. Yeah. I was going to say, I think uh, one thing rang kind of true through everything we said, a lot of memories uh, made together, I think uh, from, from us here. Uh, and some of those involve people who show up and listen to this show uh, in the, and comment on it, interact with us on Twitter, all that stuff. But I think, you know, overall, guys, a lot of those memories, I'm just I'm happy as a White Sox fan that I've had as dedicated White Sox fans to share those with. And uh, that goes a long way in building just, you know, my love for the team. And I think everybody else's as well. It's better when we share the successes. There was a lot of stuff that we did this year that was really fucking cool. 
and, and I enjoyed it. You're, you guys both, you know, hit on a lot of things that, that I was going to say already. And just the collective unit that we have being able to get together, whether it's, you know, you know, you look at 2020, we would get together and we would have to watch games in the garage. But being able to go to the ballpark, being able to tailgate, being able to have beers outside, it's just a different environment. It's just a different feel to it. And to finally have that back and then to have this team give us some lasting memories to go on top of that, I think just really kind of put the icing on the cake for what was really just, like I said, a fun year that um, it's the only one that's ever beat it for me was 2005. And I mean, I was 21 when that happened. So I was like absolute peak of my powers at that, at that (laughs) standpoint, legalized drinking for the first time and just going out and acting a fool beyond belief. Steve, don't sell yourself short. I mean, you look like you are absolutely top of your game right now. I mean, look, I I think I've I've got to put in some work here over the. I, I saw you. I saw you take down like at least 10, 16 ounce beers, forty eight hours ago. I think I think you might be top of your game. I I think I I think I built a nice base and, and established a solid foundation. Uh, for for what I'm looking to accomplish this winter, I told everybody on Twitter.com that I was going to come to spring training in the best shape of my life, and that I will not test positive for any performance enhancing substances. Keyword test positive. So um, I, I'm looking for 2022 to just be a banner year for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're talking about our performances here, guys. Let's let's revert back to a little bit of performances on the field. Obviously, a lot of memories from this. But who are your favorite players to watch on the 2021 White Sox? This is a, this is a great question. I can start to see Tony ch- shaking head a little bit. I'll just start off. Lance Lynn and Yasmani Grandal for me. When Yaz came back and got hot, I was at that game where he had two, three run home runs against the Cubs. Man, you just felt like this guy is the most unstoppable hitter in baseball uh, at that point. And I've always loved Lance Lynn. I loved his antics. I always have. Um, I was thrilled when they traded for him. Um, thrilled when they signed him to an extension. I saw multiple quality outings from him this year. Obviously, I talked about the home opener. Uh, there were other times, too. Just huge strikeout spots. Uh, you know, the antics, the throwing the belt at the uh, – umpire when he was uh you know getting some work in with the trainer uh before you know after he was uh coming out after an inning and they wanted to check him um all that stuff just adds the persona and i think in the long run it's good you know it's a good thing that lancelin is around here he feels like home here on the south side so i think we embrace that um and you know we've got fear of the beard shirts um going on you know we've got a theme for him going on so um I want to see the beard maybe a little bit thicker next year. Oh, I think that's you just I think stole that's my the, meatball take. Just, just like the one, you know, the one that's based off of from him in Texas. Yeah, maybe a little bit bigger. So get, get back to the, a little bit of the ZZ top. Uh, you know, uh, get get going on that look. But those Dude. are my two. Those are my two favorites to watch this year. Let's go. Just uh, whatever you can. Doesn't have to be two. It can be one, multiple. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to air this out because this is this is a good one. I'm so mad. I'm so mad that you did that. So fucking mad you did that. Like, I'm not even kidding. I get out the shower the other day where I do all my thinking, and I'm like, meatball take for the next socks on tap. Lance Lynn needs to grow the beard longer. That was, like, in my head. I don't know how you fucking stole that. I don't know if I was drunk and said it the other day or if you came to the same conclusion. But Jesus Christ, man, that was my meatball take, was that the reason that the Sox (laughs) did not win the Lance Lynn deal is because he shaved his beard down a little bit and he needs to grow it back for next year. 
But anyway, favorite players this year, I think, Johnny, you covered Lance Lynn very well. Same reasons that I love Lance Lynn. Just he's cool and fucking tough. There's there's no if, ands, or buts about it. He's cool and fucking tough. Lance Lynn, he doesn't care if it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's ripping you a fastball, and if you beat him, you fucking beat him. We've talked about how that can be a bad thing for Lance Lynn, but I admire the fucking balls that this guy has. They're just he's he's unlike yeah he's he's unlike anything else that's in this rotation that's what i love about lance lynn then you got to go to gavin sheets number two um i think that you know for me i i form special bonds with players that hit their first home run when i'm there uh so i had that happen a couple times this year and jake berger is another one he's always been one of my favorite guys ever since he came on chai Sox weekly with us johnny uh berger's just he's a good dude uh, love him, love his team choices. He's a Green Bay guy. He's a Blackhawks guy. He's a White Sox guy. Like that's the trifecta right there. Love Jake Berger. Um, Sebi Zavala, I loved watching him play this year as well. Also another Shy Sox Weekly guy early on. Um, he was a guest on that show. But watching him rip three fucking dingers when I was sitting front row after I watched him warm up for that game, that dude, that day he was dialed in. And I think that Sebi had a good year. He had a good showing. But if we go off the radar a little bit, Ryan Tapera is quietly one of my favorite guys I watched this year because he was an under-the-radar acquisition. He came in, he did his fucking job, and I think that he is a priority this offseason uh, and can be a guy in this bullpen that makes an impact. But the last one I'll go to is Michael Kopech. I liked watching him this year. I don't know if I was satisfied with all of the results, but it was good to see him back this year and show that he can still shove. Steve, all yours, buddy. I'm going to complete the trifecta here. Lance Lynn, obviously, he's um, I think he's the spirit animal for Sox on Tap. Johnny, you you nailed it. He's guts and nuts. That's what that guy is. Here it comes, motherfucker. I don't think you can hit it. If you do, I'll tip my cap to you. Otherwise, I'm going to grab my nuts and tell you to go sit the fuck down. I, how can how can you not love that guy? I mean, he's just um, – he speaks for all of us, I think. And the the other guy that, to me, really jumped out this year, Carlos Rodon. And I know the last uh, month or so of the season, obviously, did not play out the way that he wanted to or the way that we as fans wanted to see it play out. But he finally showed the promise of a guy that was the number three overall pick in the draft back in 2014. And so for him to finally put it all together after being non-tendered over the winter and wondering, you know, was he even going to be a part of this team? And, you know, some idiot um, may have even wrote an article saying that it was time for the Sox to move on from him. Well, Good thing, uh, good thing they didn't listen to that moron. Yeah. But um, some idiot agreed with him too. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people might have agreed with that article. Yeah, so to see and him, I'll, I admit it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll take that L. It happens, you know. Won't be the first one I'll take. Always um, glad to be wrong when it benefits the White Sox. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because the the best thing about that scenario, Johnny, is if we're wrong, we still win in the end. That's what makes it so great. So I will be wrong. If I'm wrong in those circumstances, I'll take it all day long. So just seeing him finally finally put all of that together, and now it's it's really going to be interesting to see what happens with him as he hits free agency for the first time because I think he solidified himself this year 
And I really believe it's important that the White Sox find a way to have him back in some capacity in this rotation going into 2022. Yeah. Right. Um, all, all good points there on players. Um, guys, another thing that just when we're talking about players here, um, 2020, nobody was able to. So, yes, we did see them play for the team. We watched plenty of videos. We watched plenty of the game, watched plenty of replays of games. So, But seeing these guys that, that you got um, in person for the first time, um, hey, I know you got, got caught in a lot of flack, and rightfully so for how he performed down the stretch. But I went to games against the Blue Jays and the Rays earlier this year where Dallas Keuchel went like six to seven innings in each of them and kept them. To under two earned runs. Um, it, it was impressive stuff there. So that was at least when Keuchel was still formidable earlier in the year. It was good to see him. Uh, it was good to see he has for the first time. I was so excited. He had the Luis jersey Robert. last year, got to finally wear it, and then that's where I was going there. Uh, you know, obviously Liam Hendricks was a this offseason guy, him too, but Luis Robert that man was built in the lab, as we talked about after the White Sox clinched the division. We were talking about all the home runs in that game. Um, and this guy is going to be MVP level shit for multiple years to come. And I can't wait. It was great to get our first. And this, this is an injury short in season two. And look at the numbers that he still put up. I can't wait to have this guy for a full 162 game campaign, hopefully deep into October going forward. Yeah, I mean it's 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 just absolutely incredible to me that this fan base went through this year. We haven't had a full year of Eloy Jimenez. We haven't had a full year of Luis Robert. We haven't had a full year of Michael Kopech. There there was just so many things that went wrong at the beginning of this season. There were so many of them. And there might be things that go wrong in in future seasons as well. But for all intents and purposes, this team's young. But it's also it's also in a weird spot with its its contention window. Because I was looking at this the other day. I forget who put it out on Twitter, but they were like, you know, it's you, you've got decisions coming up on Anderson. You've got decisions coming up on Lucas Gilito. You've got decisions coming up on Jose Abreu. And this is all in like the next three years, right? And and, and we don't know what's going to happen with the CBA. I think that there was a, an olive branch kind of extended in this thing this just this past week with the housing for minor league players. So you're starting to see things happen in negotiations that we're not going to know how bad it is until we get to the winter and, and the World Series is over. I, I'm trying to check the score on Boston. It's, it's on a commercial right now. 11-3 Boston. 11-3. There we go. Um, Houston can just rot in hell for all I care. Um, but I, I think, you know, next year is going to be interesting, especially with the CBA stuff. And then you come out of that and it's, you know, what are you doing with Jose Abreu? What's going to happen with Lucas Giolito? You're going to have to sign somebody else to shore up some of the, the some of the rotation. You've got Dallas Keuchel on the books. What are you doing with Kimbrell? We're going to get to a lot of that this offseason, but it's also – Steve, I don't know how you feel about this. That window of contention right now seems a little bit shorter than what I had anticipated coming into this. I don't disagree with that. I think that's where it is really incumbent upon this front office group to figure out the best way to augment this team that they have in place right now because it is – officially go time. It was go time coming into this season, but it's really go time 
for the very reasons that you mentioned there, Tony, you do only have two years left of control on Lucas Giolito. You've only got a couple of years left of control on Tim Anderson. So you've got to make some things happen now. And if a certain 85-year-old guy that I have a tremendous amount of contempt in my heart for were listening to this broadcast, and I don't know why he wouldn't be, I would sure hope that maybe he would have some pride and some self-respect. And if he really wants to win one more championship before you know, the inevitable happens, is he, is he putting all his money into the bulls though, Steve, we don't have the right guy to answer that question. We do, we do not, but you know, if he had any pride whatsoever, which I'm not sure he does at this point. passion, pride, courage. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe go out there and put this team in the best possible position to bring a trophy back to 35th and shields. Right. And all those things, extremely important. We saw uh, the flaws of this team uh, become, you know, very evident. You went and tried to patch with Adam Eaton. That didn't work out. Um, It's hard to even believe sitting here reflecting on the season. This is the first time I'm mentioning Adam Eaton, but it just speaks to your guys' point about there are things that need to be um, rectified here. And obviously lots of tweaking that needs to go on and then setting yourself up to extend this window, keep it open for, you know, as long as you possibly can. Um, But on the flip side of that, maybe a little positive, Nani here. I believe in Eloy Jimenez. I believe in Luis Robert. I believe in Yohan Mancata. Those are three guys that are locked in here that let's be honest with ourselves. I don't think all of them will completely unearth it as we kind of discussed in person uh, on Saturday night, but all three of those guys have the potential potential to win an MVP award. So if you get two of them flying at their highest in one season, it could be a magical ride that kind of helps carry the rest of the team. And obviously you're going to need all that other stuff in place and you have to do it patchwork it your best way that you possibly can around it because, you know, you need depth. I'm not discounting the importance of that, but you do, you you did do a good job, Rick of getting these guys locked in at least to lay down a base for the extracurriculars that need to come in to make this thing totally come to fruition. You guys at least agree with that. I'll, I'll give Rick Hahn that. I'll give him that he laid down the base. I think, Steve, you, you kind of hinted at this, and this has been brought up on Twitter, and it might be an unpopular opinion, but I kind of hinted on it earlier this year with an article about why Eloy Jimenez should be your DH. The roster construction right now, to me, is very suspect in order to sustain this thing long-term, unless you make some unfavorable moves that the fan base is not going to get behind. And one of the reasons towards that is – You've got a lot of corner outfield guys that hit for power, and the only one that stands out in that group is Gavin Cheats because he's a left-handed bat. And then you you couple that with the corner infield pieces that you have, and you've got you know you've got Jake Berger coming up right behind some of these guys. He's arguably a fan favorite here. He's got some pop. He's got some power. He can he can probably be major league ready uh, to play a full season coming up here next year. I think at least. Uh, what he showed when he was up here is he's got that pop. I mean, I watched him just absolutely murder a ball from the 300 level that was eye level to me in the left field corner, just sail over the bullpen earlier this year. I mean, that, that kid can, that kid can rake uh, if you get him up here, but where do you play him? Where do you play Gavin sheets next year? If he doesn't really acclimate to right field, you've got Jose Abreu and the fans are going to want to sign him to a lifetime contract at first base. So where do you put Andrew Vaughn? If Eloy Jimenez is in left, there's, there's depth. And then there's 
too much depth at the same positions. And then you go and you look at places where the White Sox need some help at backup catcher, at starting pitching, at second base right now. Um, you know, just so, somebody who can come in and, and just beat your everyday right fielder. There's there's a lot of questions that you have there, and they all seem to stack up in the same places. Gavin Sheets, I didn't expect him to come up and 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 basically be a major league ready bat. You look at what happened to Yerman Mercedes, who who, you know, you can argue that you know he just had a hot month, but again, he's another DH type bat that I think that major league teams would go after. You've got a ton of these fucking guys. And they all seem to wind up as fan favorites. So how do you maneuver around this and figure out how to fill in the holes? That's the next piece of this. And Steve, you've kind of hinted at this online. I think a lot of people have. There's depth and then there's the wrong kind of depth. And I think that that's kind of where you're at right now because it's just hard to fill out a lineup card for next year or even two years ahead for this team without subtracting a bat in this lineup that feels like a key cog to one of the five White Sox fan friends that you talk to. There are a lot of redundancies in this roster, and it is something that organizationally they're going to have to look at long and hard and how they address. I was doing some thinking the other day, as I am prone to do, and I thought back to the two most recent White Sox pennant winners. So obviously 2005, that winner, Ken W.O., his personal favorite, Carlos Lee, was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers for Scott Pesednik, who, as we all know, famously hit a walk-off home run in Game 2 of the World Series, and you know Ken is still crying about it to this day. Um, and then you go back, 1959, that winner – before the White Sox traded franchise icon Minnie Minoso to the Cleveland Indians for early win, who ended up winning the Cy Young that year and ultimately helped propel the White Sox to their first pennant in 40 years. So we've had two recent or not recent, two notable instances of the White Sox making trades of fan favorites, guys that were long tenured within the organization, but ultimately needed to be moved for philosophical reasons and trying to reshape a ball club and it worked. And so this is where, as I talked about online, Tony, that you alluded to, this team may have to make a move that is going to piss off members of the fan base because whether it's as long as it's not Gavin sheets, we're okay. Yeah, boy, you leave me with a lot of fucking confidence after the way you handled that answer. I mean, you, you not you never know. Listen, I'm he, not. He, uh, I know you reference someone else, but he may be one of the people that you're talking about here. No, I think he is. I like if I if I take my fandom away and I look at something, I go where where is somebody who's. I mean, he's a he's a fan favorite right now, but he could wind up on the trade block to go get you a piece that's going to be beneficial to the rest of his ball. It doesn't matter whatever he winds up, as long as it's not on the North side of Chicago or in New York, I'm probably going to root for him and his team. But what if he's a, not, what, what if he gets sent to Minnesota or Cleveland? Steven, we'll talk about that. Have your people get in touch with my people. I don't like that can, response. Anthony. Debate the answer. 
I don't think he's going to Minnesota or Cleveland, though. I just don't. Well, I would actually be more upset if he got sent to Detroit, Steve. If we're being honest here, I would be more upset if he got sent to Detroit because I think that Detroit's going to be your your competition here in the next two years in the AL Central that could prevent you from potentially getting back to having playoff baseball being played in October. I would be more upset if you wound up in Detroit crushing baseballs against the White Sox. Send them to Baltimore. Send them home. If you're going to send them anywhere, send them to Baltimore. You're not going to get shit back for them, though. That's the problem. Fair point. Fair point. I, uh, why are know. we even talking about trading Gavin Sheets right now? Yeah. Fuck yeah. That Fuck yeah. that shit. Go trade Evoy instead. <laughs> oh, that's coming in hot that's right boring. there. That's coming in hot. <laughs> Go get Dion Viciato. He's the key to everything. <laughs> We have derailed. We have derailed. Yeah. You guys make good points, though. I mean, it is, uh, you know, kind of a redundancy. I think that's the best word to use to describe uh, the kind of skill sets of some of these guys that you have. And it's not that they're bad. They're not bad players. It's that you just have too many of them and you have glaring other holes that need to be addressed. So that's something that I'm sure we will mull over all offseason. Obviously, uh, moves can trickle in uh, as soon as we saw uh, before Thanksgiving. Uh, hey, the White Sox did jump the gun uh, in 2019 uh, when they were going in with uh, Yasmani Grandal. So you never know um, what what can happen, how early can happen. We shall see, you know, winter meetings. That should be a more normal setup with COVID subsiding somewhat to the point of where they should be having in-person stuff um, with the kind of the fanfare surrounding it. So I would imagine a more normal setup there, maybe some transactions. Uh, we know Rick Hahn is one to pull off moves at that thing as well. So um, we shall see, but there'll be plenty of time to discuss that this off season. Uh, as we wrap up reflection, final thoughts from 2021, Steve, I know uh, we got to get out of here uh, in very short term. So um, let's just hear it uh, kind of closing thoughts on this and we will close the book on 2021. Really fun year. A lot of memorable moments. Had an absolute blast covering it, going to the games, watching with you guys. Left, obviously, a bitter taste in our mouth the way it ended. Just looking forward to 2022. But I'm always going to look back on this season and smile and, and think back to a lot of the great times that we had and that we shared as a group. And I just I'm, – I'm really bummed that it's over because I really thought that uh, – that we were going to get a run deep into October here, but nevertheless had an absolute blast doing this and uh, can't wait to do it some more. Yeah. I echo everything that Steve said. Um, if I've got to close the book on 2021. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just an incredible year. I think the team had it. I think they, they absolutely did. They didn't get the job done, but uh it's 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 gonna hurt. It's going to continue to hurt until the White Sox take the field again. And uh, what I've what is it March April uh, at um, the opening day? I don't have the schedule in front like of me. February at Camelback Ranch. Well, February at Camelback Ranch. I actually started my birthday this year. I'm gonna try and get down there on the 26th if uh, if the CBA uh, gets through. Um, it, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt the same way every. Every offseason does. Only one team gets to win the World Series. And that's the sad part about baseball. There's a lot of good teams. There's a lot of good storylines. You're watching a Boston Red Sox team right now just absolutely demolish the Houston Astros. There's storylines all over the place. 
don't let the fact that the White Sox didn't win the World Series in 2021 distract you as a White Sox fan from everything good that happened this year. There was a lot of good. There's also a lot to be upset about. There's also a lot that they left you longing for. I'm the same way right now. I want to watch a White Sox baseball game tomorrow. And I'm going to have that same feeling every single fucking day I wake up until they play another game. I, if, if I could, I would just take this team and probably place the exact same roster into next year. I don't really want there to be changes as a fan. I think this was a good group of guys. I think they had a lot of fun together on the field. I think if you watch them play enough games this year, you would realize that that was a tight-knit group. That was a group that can get the job done, and that was a group that really enjoyed coming out to play baseball for, for all of us that went and attended games that the White Sox played this year. They had a good fucking year. Um, I expect the same thing next year. I had a great time doing this with you guys, but overall, I think the one thing that I want next year is more playoff wins. That's the only thing that I have to fucking ask for. And this might sound a little short-sighted, but I'm not going to be as excited for the regular season next year. I'm not going to get up for it the same way I did because I am ready to get back to where I was that Sunday in that stadium with that fucking energy when the White Sox were rolling as hot as they possibly fucking could be. That is it right there. That is the Gavin Sheets video that you brought up, Johnny, when he looks at Daryl Boston and says, this place is fucking wild. That's what I want. That's what I will crave. And there is not that that is the bar for me. That is what White Sox baseball should be. That is how it should always be, and that is the pinnacle, and it has to go higher. And the only way that you beat that is you win multiple ALDS games, you win multiple ALCS games, and you go to the World Series. That's the next fucking step. That is where we need to go next year. Rickon, or what was it? Rickon this year said World Series or bust. This was a bust. It's World Series your boss next year because you got largely the same roster. Figure out how to fucking fill the pieces together. Let's go. I want to wave my fucking rally towel for five hours straight because I love five-hour baseball games and and pounded Budweiser's. I like beer. I like baseball. I want to see the White Sox win a fucking World Series. That's the bar. Let's go. That's my final fucking closing thoughts here. Yeah, how do I follow that up? I mean, a lot of the shared same sentiments, guys. Um, it, it was absolutely fun year. There's no discounting that. Even at those 20% capacity games, I think some of that that felt the energy early on. And I think that was part of people uh, reemerging from, you know, kind of pandemic lockdowns, first time getting back uh, since 2019, but also just something different about this team. You talk about them having it. Um, I agree, Tony, I would go and place the whole plot down the same roster next year. I do want there to be sub change, but for the most part, you do have a core in place. You have guys that are locked in here. So we do know a lot of what is going to be here. And we know that when they're healthy, this group, can go far as long as they hit the ball far. So Adam Eaton, um, starting right fielder on the 2022 <laughs> Chicago bring White Sox. Bringing him back. Can't wait no, to hear Gene Honda fucking yeah. call that name out. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting bitter here towards the end. I think you're just missing White Sox baseball, as we all are, though. Guys, it was a blast doing this with you again for another season. We'll be right back at it. Uh, I mean, we'll be here all off season. So um, whenever we do come and shoot the shit, um, we'll be 
covering moves as they come along, uh, giving kind of predictions, wants, needs, desires, all that. Um, and then obviously uh, getting back next year. I uh, can't wait to do it all again. And I agree with you, Tony. The bar has been, uh, you know, we, we kind of, as fans, got, got the firsthand experience of it. So the bar is kind of set and you obviously want to go exceed that uh, through the roof. And like you had said, that uh, is contingent on winning multiple games in each round and advancing, advancing, advancing. And until there's nothing more to advance to and you're hosting a trophy. So that's the ultimate goal. That's what I want for this White Sox team. But overall, fun year uh, on the south side of Chicago. Glad we got to take in a lot of it together, boys. So I um, think that does it for the 2021 White Sox season I reflection have, I have show. One last closing thought, and that's Tim Anderson is good at baseball. Ooh. That's a good thought to end on. All right, gentlemen, for one last time on the 2021 season, White Sox forever. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.